Good morning, Joy Church. All right. Oh, we get to sit in a nice, comfortable chair today. All right. How many of you remember the movie theater chairs? Those were elite chairs. So I remember us having an elders meeting saying, we can't go from the movie theater chairs to plastic you know, chairs or something at Joy Church. So we, are you glad that your derriere was blessed with these comfortable chairs? <laughs> Praise God, yes. Um, man, what an incredible time of worship. I'm so glad that Bethany gave that word and I, I uh, am just really moved because I was feeling something very similar in my spirit. I was feeling uh, this phrase going over and over in my head, something that Bethany and I were talking about last night. What if we meant what we said? You know, what if in life when we talk to people and we, we were fake kind or false kind to someone that we meant it in our heart? What if we meant what we said? And I was thinking about that in worship today. What if we meant what we sang? You know, spirit break out among us. I think many times we want a measure of the spirit of God because we're afraid of the full measure that if you were to break out, that would break some stuff loose in our life. Some behaviors, some things, uh, some agendas, some motivations, and attitudes, and I uh, believe the Lord wants to move in a powerful way. How many of you as Christians would say, Jesus, I want revival in our nation. I want to see your spirit poured out and change people. But how many of you would answer that question with authenticity that you want revival in your life? Less. Because <laughs> it's awesome to pray for revival in a, in a nation, in a city, in a neighborhood. But when Jesus comes and does re revolution work, revival work in your own heart and life, it's a whole different matter, isn't it? And uh, that's what I, we want to be, you know, from, uh, from the micro to the macro. As a church, of, uh, we're a big family of God here in Eugene and Springfield, and it's awesome. But it needs to happen at your house on Monday morning in your heart, in your prayer, every, every week. Amen? Yeah. Uh, we're starting a new, a new thing. It's not a new series. It is a series, but it's not going to take place one week at a time. It's actually going to happen periodically through the year. And it's called Footsteps. And one of the things that we felt the Lord gave us as an idea was to interview uh, people uh, in our local church congregation, and, and we're going to introduce you to these lovely people here today, even some from without our local congregation, and just begin to unpack how they follow Jesus. Um, as a church, our mission is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And so this idea of discipleship, obeying the last command that Jesus gave to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded to you, we take that very seriously. That's not tertiary, that's core. That's not something that, that is outside, you know, kind of our core mission. That is like the beating heart of who we are as a church is to make disciples. And again, not just as a church, but on Monday morning as we go to work. Uh, I believe that one of the things that the Lord has really put into my spirit for us as we go forward into this next three, five, 10, and 30, and 300 years is that we would, as a church, uh, that whether you're a pastor or a plumber, whether you are a stay-at-home mom or an entrepreneurial woman starting a business, whether you are a teen, or whether you're a kid in the nursery, whatever level that you are in following Jesus, whatever sphere of life that you would take very seriously every day, you wake up to be about your father's business. That ministry is not for people that have the name pastor before their first name. Ministry is not for Bible college professors. Ministry and making disciples is for Christians. It is for disciples of Jesus. And so when we talk about discipleship, it's missional and that we're going to make disciples, but then that comes from a place of understanding what it means to be a disciple and what it means to follow Jesus and to walk in the footsteps of Christ. And so 
we're going to be interviewing some people and you go, not me, pastor, don't call me out. No, it might be you. In fact, if in your heart right now you're going, not me, maybe we're going to ask you next. <laughs> but we're going, to, we're going to pick on some people in the nicest way possible and, and do some interviews like that to hear how they are following Jesus. And I believe it's going to be a tremendous encouragement and blessing to all of us. Cool? Yeah. Yes. So today we have the privilege and honor of being with some of our absolute best friends, awesome, incredible, <clears throat> amazing people, Sean and Carrie Harvey. And uh, yes, give them a round of applause. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a short introduction, though it won't do justice to the unbelievable awesomeness of these people. But we've known Sean and Carrie, I think now for over 20 years, which is crazy. I was three years old when we met. So <laughs> she was four. Yeah. Uh, no, I think we were a little older than that when we met. But uh, we need to tell the truth, right? We need to be, to be honest up here. But we've known each other for over 20 years. And when we first met Pastor Sean and Carrie, I think we knew Carrie first, maybe for a little while. And then Sean came on the scene and blew us all away. So we, were, we accepted him into the friendship tribe. Yeah. But uh, uh, Sean and Carrie uh, directed an internship program, a discipleship program for young people for how many years? 23 years. Uh, directing that program, seeing in that time period hundreds of young people just absolutely fall in love with Jesus. They, they, they are some of the greatest discipleship pastors I've ever known. And I say that without any hesitation. Just absolutely incredible heart for people to know Jesus and also willing to really get into the messy parts of people's lives to help them unpack what doesn't need to be there and add in what does. And so Bethany and I have learned a ton from both of them over the years of just how to minister, how to disciple. I think that we've learned so much that some of the stuff you hear us say that might sound good, it's probably from them, okay? So just, you know, cite your sources. Um, in the past couple of years, Carrie had felt led to, to give, get her, is it a master's degree? Awesome. <laughs> Straight up master's uh, in counseling. And so she completed that program and she's serving as a counselor full-time, uh, ministering in that way to people, which is such an important and valuable thing. And bringing the heart of Jesus, though she's not officially in a ministry capacity in that, she's bringing, absolutely bringing ministry in the kingdom of God into that field, an, an incredible thing. And Sean is serving at Southgate Church as an associate pastor and probably like the world's best staff member and, and helper to Pastor Chris there and just doing an incredible job. They have four really cool, really awesome, and I won't call them out in here because I don't want to embarrass them, but really cool really sweet, really awesome uh, kids. And uh, Bethany and I love their kids. Uh, we've seen their kids since they were all babies. And uh, we love them. We think they're the best. And uh, they're friends with the Schmelzer kids. And when they get together, it's crazy. It's wild. It's fun. Anyways, uh, we're so delighted to have you guys here with us. And we're going to ask you some softball. great questions. Yeah, softball questions. <laughs> what is two plus two? <laughs> No, no, no math. Okay, all right. In, in two minutes, there's a time limit here. To, we just want to ha hear your brief story, how you found the Lord. So whoever wants to go first. Okay, I came to the Lord first when I was 12. A school bus used to come around our neighborhood and pick kids up because my parents didn't go to church. And so there was a Baptist church that would send buses out and I would jump on the bus and I gave my heart to the Lord in a little white Baptist church in Colorado. And then, um, so we were serving the Lord, but I didn't really quite understand it. And then when I turned 17, I went away on a retreat, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
And that was when everything changed. I was 100% converted, never looked back. I love the Lord and was on a mission ever since. So for myself, um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a moral home. So lots of good morals, but no, no Christ, no Christ-centeredness. And um, I met a guy in college, and he needed help with some of the stuff he was working on. And I helped him, and it started um, carpooling with him. And he asked, if I'm so helpful, what church do I go to? And um, I said, I don't go to church. And if being helpful makes you a Christian, and I already am a Christian, uh, I'm already helpful, why do I need to be a Christian? So then that started a whole dialogue and debate for over a year until he finally gave up trying to um, win me for the Lord. Um, then, then I had a dream, and the Lord really gave me um, a stirring picture, and it, it haunted me. And that, that same week, I got a phone call from my friend who just by chance said, hey, do you want to come to church this Sunday? And I said, yes. He goes, oh, uh, well, okay, um, it starts at this time. And, uh, and <laughs> like, he didn't actually expect me to say anything. And at that, at that service, I heard truth. And I, I heard something that I wanted to align myself with, and I didn't fully know what it is other than I, I said, if this is truth, I want it. And, that's, and then they uh, did an altar call, and I was the only person to put my hand up and say yes. And, and my friend was very shocked when I did that. So he he'd lost faith at that point. But it, um, it, yeah, that's how it happened. this one? Oh, ask the next question. I was like, I, no, I don't want to answer it. I'm not being interviewed. I'm not prepared. I, I love, Sean, that your friend gave up, and that's so on brand, you know, for, for you. Like, you beat the Christian, but then you joined them. Yeah. You're like, now that I've beat you, <laughs> now I'm a Christian. Awesome. What has been, and this is for both of you guys, so you can both answer, what has been your most impactful spiritual discipline or practice in your journey of following Jesus? Okay, this, I mean, there's the, the clear answer is always prayer and Bible reading. Those are just the core, they're, they're really important. So I wanted to just say that de my devotion life has been really important, uh, but it's also changed over the years because when I was a young adult, I could spend an hour every day praying in a quiet room. And then as I got married and had four kids really quickly, there was no quiet ever. And so I had to change that over time. And so I would just say the, the most important discipline has been being disciplined in whatever way I can. Um, so now devotions looks like I listen to the Bible while I'm getting ready in the morning. I pray before I wake up, before I get out of bed. So. I'm trying to get back to a more dedicated time, but when we had all of our, we had all of our kids in two and a half years, and so everything was very crazy, and so I'm still trying to kind of get back to a routine. And so I think that the biggest choice that I've made that I'm so glad that I did is that I start every day with the dedication of my life to the Lord, and, and I really ask him to show me new things. And one other just really practical thing that somebody told me when I was a young adult that I really loved is they would say, read a proverb a day and pray for wisdom. And there's 31 proverbs. There's generally 31 days in the month. And so if you can read one chapter of proverbs a day and pray for wisdom, 
I look back over the years, and when you first start, you're like, is this working? I don't know. But I would say over time, the more I read the Proverbs, the wiser, it just gets like soaked into your soul, and you begin to say things that make more sense, <laughs> and, and, uh, and God does really give you wisdom. And those words that you put into your spirit when you're reading and praying, all of a sudden you find yourself weaving them into conversations, and, and you can recall them because you've put them in, but you can't pull something out if you didn't put it in to begin with. And, you know, a very fun thing with watching Carrie do this is we have probably two Rubbermaid bins full of prayer journals that she's done. And I would say with her last move, and me, uh, two months ago we were, I was looking for something and I had to pull out all these bins and one of the bins opened up and it was her journals. And I just happened to open it up to a page and it, and it had all of her prayers for our kids for just what was going on in that season. And it was a hard season on that page as well. Like, And we'd been through hard seasons since. And it was just really cool to see the faithfulness of God in those moments. It makes me wish I was a journaler. Uh, and like, I know that that's one of the skills I want to have. But I, watched, I, I got to see her journals and see her prayers for our kids, her prayers for the situations we were walking through, and to see God's faithfulness in that. So there's something about being able to look back on something and to see it. For me, it's been, I mean, it, it is prayer and it's study for me. I love diving into study, which at 19, I didn't like reading, I didn't like anything until my heart converted to the Lord. Um, and, and I would say when I, when I come into, I come into it, I mean, Carrie sometimes will ask the questions like, okay, what are you learning? Because I just started going back to school. And it's like, what are you learning? And then she gets more of an earful than she was expecting because it's like, I've got these thoughts and then more, and then they just keep coming. So for me, it's intentionally studying. Um, and it kind of comes along with, if uh, like musicians um, never outgrow the basics. They always have to work on their scales. They always have to work on their skills. They, they're learning new songs, but there is something that they have to come back to the beginning and do that. And that's like the reading the Proverbs, it's praying, it's simple, and it works. And it just kind of, yeah, from there. Is there a particular behavior or attitude that you've seen uh, that takes people off course as a disciple? Something that maybe you've seen, because you guys have obviously led hundreds and hundreds of students through and, and young people and even adults too through ministry, through the, the, the journey of following Jesus. So is there something you've seen as a maybe consistent pattern or thing that, that takes people off course more than others? Dad jokes. <laughs> and offense. <laughs> Oh, this is such a good question. And I, you know, I bet everybody would have a different answer. Uh, what I think is that often it's just familiarity begins to seep in ungratefulness and entitlement. That we begin to think that we are owed something. You know, we do, you know, we do things long enough, we kind of feel like God owes us answers or he owes us a, a green path that doesn't have any ups and downs. Um, I think just that... That entitlement, and also, and Sean will probably talk about this too, because this is one of his main things in life, is that we drift away from God. We, we stop being deliberate. We stop anchoring deep, and we, 
we begin to just kind of little by little let life creep in on us. And then next thing we know, we've like floated way out to sea and we're not close to the Lord. But I, I think a lot of times we get distracted with just forgetting who God is and and not really asking like, where is Jesus in this? And we get really distracted by all the clutter and the noise. And, you know, relationships begin to kind of take over. We can get offended and, and get lost in kind of the details of life and forget that Jesus is always working to draw us closer to him. And so I think even just remembering that it's always about Jesus. And, and if we get offended at other people, that's something that he can use and, and bring us back to him. A lot of times I, I notice in our world that we can kind of follow leaders instead of following God. So then when the leader makes a mistake, we're like, well, I'm out because they, they taught me to do this and then they didn't do it themselves. And it can kind of spin people out. But if you were following Jesus the whole time, sure, it hurts when the person in front of you makes decisions that hurt you or others, but it doesn't rock you to the bedrock of your faith because you always had him uh, at the core of who you were. Yeah, and like in the intro video they had for this, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And the condition is, I need to be following after Christ if you're going to try to be like me. In the moment I stop, you better stop following me because you need to be following after Christ. And in Hebrews um, 2, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the, um, to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And it's really summing up in one line what the Old Testament has through half of the book of the laws is like, you need to remember this. You re need to remember what God has done for you in these different spots and be able to come in. And if we don't remember, we are going to drift further and further away. And it, it just, it, it happens so subtly. Um, it says, a man, a man may sink by such slow degrees that long after he's a devil, he may go on being a good churchman and thinking himself a good Christian. There are, there are men who never know how, uh, know how wicked they are until everyone is watching them, until the gaze of the multitude is on them. And that's George MacDonald from, from back in the past. But, he, but really, that if we forget the things that brought us here, we start to slip over the little things. And all of a sudden, you end up in a spot that you didn't expect to be. And it's just that simple drift that I see happen. It's where people who are like, well, I'm just not as passionate about that anymore. And it's like they slowly go, oh, that was really good in that season. And the Lord really met me there. But... Oh, well, that was then. You know, it's been 10 years. And it's like, no, you need to press in and not to drift. And it's intentional. The, the, the river of life is going to keep pulling you away, and you need to intentionally moor yourself to Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to just say one more thing on this. A few years ago, I was reading in 2 Corinthians, and I'm not going to get the reference right this minute, but Paul says, I... I ask you, Corinthians, open your hearts wide to us. We've opened our hearts wide to you. And you know, sometimes when you're reading the word, it just kind of checks you. That's what happened that day. I was, we had just gone through a really challenging season. One of our students had overdosed on drugs. She, she had been clean and, and been doing really well. And then just kind of in a whirlwind, she just went back to her old life. And then by the weekend, she was gone. And 
we were just reeling. And right after that, I was reading this scripture and and this, like, open your hearts wide. And I just felt the Holy Spirit ask me, like, is your heart still wide open? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, it is hard to keep our hearts wide open because painful things happen. And at her service, one of the pastors said the, the highest risk you can ever take is to love another person. It's, it's bigger than any high adrenaline sport. It is the challenge of life is to keep loving people and to keep your heart wide open. And I kind of saw it like I was picking up the welcome mat from in front of my life and closing the blinds and kind of looking through like every new person in my life. I was kind of looking through like, are you going to hurt me? Are you friend or foe? And I just wasn't living heart wide open. And I think as disciples, we can still be following Jesus, but we're not wide open to others. And Jesus said that we will know that we're Christian. People will know we're Christians by the way we love each other. And that's a challenge because sometimes we really go through hard things relationally. And it's easy to just kind of close up shop and, and do our Christian practices without letting the body of Christ rub off our edges. And so I think that one of the challenges for me, and I'll throw it out to you as God would work in your hearts, is to keep your heart wide open and what does that look like for you and if you've been hurt to be able to work through it and then put the welcome mat back down open up the blinds let people back into your life it's so good um so you guys have walked through hard times <laughs> like that's a light way to say that both personally and professionally how do you keep following jesus while you're walking through difficulty so they sent us these questions last week, and I was like, oh, softball questions. I see how this goes. <laughs> those, are, those are good questions that made us uh, really think. Uh, when we got married, if you were here on Friday night, I told this whole story, but I'll just hit a highlight. When we first got engaged, we got engaged on a Tuesday, and by Monday, uh, we were in a hospital room finding out that my mom had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so we had to grow up real quick. And... Um, you know, our, our relationship had to grow up really quickly. And something happened in that hospital room when we found out my mom was sick is uh, my dad said immediately, and so this is his wife of 35 years, and he said, we find no fault with God. And we realized in that moment, maybe looking back, we realized how important that was because what we learned is that when you're going through a hard season, you need to set a compass point. And of course, Jesus is the compass point, but sometimes you need a rally cry and, and you need a, a sense of like, okay, this is where we, you know, like in, a, in, in crisis, they, they create muster points. Have you ever seen those? Where like, if there's a tsunami, come here, you know, I, I, we feel like it's really important to kind of create a soundbite or a rally cry when you know a new season is coming, when you sense a hard season, like we went through infertility, we went through grief, we've been through job changes, we've just a lot of different things. And we've started to do this as a practice now where we will say things, we will create a rally cry at the beginning of a season. So we just went through a, a difficult season relationally in a, in a situation and we, we sat together and crafted a rally cry and we said, we will not throw a grenade over our shoulder and leave with a wake of destruction. So then when hard situations would come up and hard conversations would happen, 
instead of being like, what are we going to do? We would come back to our rally cry. We'd come back to our muster point and say, well, we don't know what we're going to do exactly, but we know what we're not going to do. We're not going to get offended, and we're not going to blow anybody up. And, um, and so those were really important, and we would say that fairly. <laughs> not blowing people up is probably a good idea. <laughs> but if you've been through a hard relational thing, you know, it's hard when you're like, you know what I really want to do? I want to like, you know, flamethrower this whole place to the ground, you know? Uh, it's hard to hold your tongue, but we wanted to see fruit for years to come and not just like an immediate gratification of doing something that might have felt good in the moment, but we would regret when we knew that we would. And so I would say we've done that pretty consistently through everything we would, and we remind each other when it's hard, this is what we are choosing. This is our, our point that we gather around. I also remember our lead pastor um, had said at one point, you don't jump off a train while it's in a dark tunnel. And, and there is a feeling that when things go wrong, um, quick is like, get out of the situation. It's like, no, wait, figure it out and kind of go forward. And you have to, you have to determine what is good and what is true in the good times. And then you have to remind yourself of that when you're walking through the dark times. And we, when we were coming into one of our last seasons here, it felt like a fog. It felt like I couldn't hear from the Lord. It felt like there was just a lot of things going on, and I was in a fog. And I said to our boss at the time, and I said, you know, I don't know if this is a fog or I just need to press through. Like, I know what I've been told, and I'm just going to press through. Or is this a fog to see something new? But I'm not going to change my course until I hear. I'm going to trust. I'm going to stay on the track that I am until the Lord says you're done. For the because if I missed it, at least I missed it following the Lord, and and that He's going to redeem that time. But if I go off and do my own thing, there's no there's no guarantee that He's going to say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." I need to I need to stay focused on what He's given, and not to do that. And it's even like. Um, the disciples and Jesus has seen a number of people leave in John 6 and he turns to the faithful ones with him and goes are you going to leave me too and and Peter says you know where should we go it's like only you have the words of life you know like we've determined that you are the Christ it was like so we're not leaving it's like yes it's hard and everyone else is saying yeah no I can't do this but I'm like I need to stay right here because this is where God has called me to be. I may not like the press, but I can push through it because I know I'm doing what he's called me to do. Yeah. I told you they knew some stuff. I heard like three or four things that I could write whole sermons on in that right there. So I'm like, awesome, I don't have to study this week. <laughs> <I> just <laughs> There were some really great lines. If you're taking notes, the jumping off a train, don't jump off a train in a dark tunnel. What was Carrie's line about the rallying point? A rallying cry. That was really, really good. So really powerful. Um, one of the things that I'll say, I don't want to answer their questions for them, but I think it's hard to talk about yourself and, and, and go, man, I, I'm really awesome because we want to have that hum humility, right? But Bethany and I had been through the, the mixer of life, like a pretty bad situation. And we went up to Canada and we're with Carrie and Sean. And like that was such a healing time for us. And at that point, everything was going really well for them, you know, and everything was going really bad for us. 
And they were such a healing to us. And they were like, hey, keep your heart right. Don't throw grenades over your shoulder, that kind of thing. And that was such a, a beautiful gift to us. And then when they have then come into some hard times through different things, we were able, hopefully, I was like, toss it. No, <laughs> throw it hard. Yeah. But Bethany was like, no, do what Jesus would do. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's good. But um, interesting, you know, at a, in different seasons where we might be doing well and on the surface things are going really well and then they were going through some hard things and just watching them suffer but with such grace and not uh, having an accusation against God, not getting mad at the people that were doing some things wrong to them, not, not defending themselves against the misunderstandings that come in life. That's a hard one, isn't it? how we want to clarify and defend and tell, well, that's not what I said or that's not what I did. And uh, we watched our friends just do that with such grace. And we're, we're really um, proud of you guys, but also you're a great example of that to heal us when we've gone through hard times, but also to walk through it yourself really well. And I think walking with Jesus, I find it so much easier when the sun is shining. You know, like today I woke up and the sun's out and Eugene, I'm like, I love it here, you know? <laughs> I feel the Holy Spirit, you know? People are like, that's vitamin D deficiency, homeboy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but when the clouds are out and it's gray, and I'm now using this metaphorically, and life is stormy, it can feel like, where is God? You know, where, where is he in these moments? And those are those times when we learn to be mature in Christ and, and do things because of uh, truth and and following after Jesus. So really, really good, you guys. Um, moving on to our next question. I think we got time maybe to do two, maybe one. We'll see how the answers come out and if I shut up and don't talk more. Okay. One of the things that is so valuable, and I know any of us that have children and any of us, uh, even people that do not have natural children, all of us are called to make disciples and have spiritual children. But specifically taking it in the context of natural family, what is your top advice to parents on how to follow Jesus in the context of parenting, raising kids, so on and so forth. Oh, I always feel like parenting is a tricky thing because I don't know how it's all going to turn out. So I'll just give you a current report on how I feel about it today. Um, um, there are some things that I would say I'm really glad we did, some things we've learned. Um, probably my biggest lesson, and we actually have this on a sign in our house, is Love never fails. And it's my reminder that I fail. I need to say sorry a lot. I need to model uh, what it is to be humble. And I need to say sorry. And I also need to give myself permission to make mistakes and realize that the kids are more resilient than I give them credit for. And, you know, lots of times we'll have like these friction points and then I'll just go back and say I'm sorry. And not to embarrass my oldest, but the other day I was, I was, having a hard day and she and I were having a hard day and I you know everything calmed down and I just went and gave her a hug I'm like you're my first teenager I'm just practicing I'm sorry <laughs> she's like I love you gives me a kiss and then we're better you know so we relationships tear and they repair and tear and repair and we need to give ourselves room to say I fail love doesn't I'm moving toward love I thought you were going to comment about the sign in our house that says a perfectly clean house is a sign of a misspent life. But I got her that one when we were panicking about how the house looked at times. So um, still, yes. Um, 
you, you know, we would do marriage counseling and uh, we would follow um, a program called Prepare and Rich. And um, on one of the worksheets they had, they, they had quotes at the top of the page. And one of them was, uh, there's, um, I had six theories for parenting. Now I have six children and no theories. Um, and I would say the truth of that is we have four kids and each one of them is so unique. Um, when, when our first was born, um, we had a friend come over and they, they were watching how Emma was responding to something and she was touching things and, and feeling the blanket and feeling this and it's like, oh, she's a touch baby. And, and it's like, you're going to see like these things come forward in time. And she made a comment about learning to see your children the way that they are and to pull out that and to develop that piece instead of trying to get them to conform to something that they aren't. And so the biggest lesson for me is learning that they can't fit in my little box because I have a specific box I'd like them to be in. It's the clean house box at times, but um, they're not. But it's great, and we have so much fun. And so it's like learning to see them for who they are. And the biggest thing I can teach them is um, that I can repent. Um, that when I make mistakes, when I lose my temper, when, when things go wrong, that I apologize. And their first response is to say, that's okay, Dad. And I say, it's not okay. I need your forgiveness in this moment. I need... I, I need to say I am sorry with no strings attached and not say these are all the things that you did that deserved me to be sorry for this moment. You better believe I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, like, but I, it, it's not to bring in any conditions, but to say I am sorry, will you forgive me? Because if they don't see me doing that to them and they don't understand me doing that to the Lord, they're never going to learn what repentance looks like. And they don't like it. It's hard on them because they, they're like, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. And it's like, it's not okay. I need to change. And they need to see that I am willing to change in order for them to learn that it's okay to change, it's okay to develop, and it's okay to grow. Did you hear him say sorry? The Canadian. <laughs> we didn't notice. Yeah. Okay, rapid fire. Apparently, this is something take through in here. What is uh, what does making disciples mean to you? Rapid fire. First <laughs> <laughs> um, Corinthians eleven one. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, Paul saying that one. I need to be an imitator. Um, I need to be, in, in order for somebody to be following me as a disciple, I need to be following after Christ. The moment I stop following after Christ, they should stop following after me because I'm no longer living up to my part of the bargain. Um, so making disciples is being close enough to people that um, they can see all the warts and all, and they can see how you handle that change. Um, you can't export what you don't have. And you can try, and then you kind of can end up like in Acts, where the sons of Sceva, who, who saw Paul doing all these great things, and come into a room and say, I can do what Paul's doing by the name of Jesus, and they get well, beat up and sent out of the room naked. It's a great story in Acts 19, so you can go look that one up. But 
Yeah, and I think uh, going with what Sean said, for sure, me modeling my relationship with Christ and then teaching what we've learned. But I'll borrow a little thought from the therapy world. Um, how we feel attached to people creates an atmosphere of safety. And I think it's so important to let people know that they're safe to make mistakes, they're safe to mess up, they're safe to ask any question, that there's no need to pretend to be something that you're not or further along than you are, that you're not gonna be rejected. And when you feel that, we all just kind of take a breath and we're able to be ourselves. And it creates a relationship that feels um, organic and they don't feel like they have to be something for the person that they're following. And, and also, I'll just throw in one more thought. I've seen a lot of people go sideways in their faith because their leader didn't live out what they taught them. And I think that the most important thing that we can do for people and ourselves is to realize Jesus is the only perfect one and everyone else is just figuring it out. And so if they blow it, I'm forgiving them and following Jesus. If I blow it, I'm going to forgive myself and hope other people will too and tell them to follow Jesus because I'm not going to do it right all the time. And my faith is not based on following a person. My faith is based, well, it is, but that person is Jesus Christ. And that's it. And to not get disillusioned when people fail you, but to keep following Christ and trusting that they will work things out and we can move on together it's so excellent let's give them a round of applause and thank them for that wonderful man we have more questions but we're gonna we're gonna stop for for time's sake um i just encourage everybody to to really consider what was spoken today and and you know even when the recording comes out uh, later to just go back through and, and take a few things uh, from that and apply it to your own journey. Um, I like to I look at sermons, you know, the idea of, of listening to a sermon and hearing, and this isn't even a sermon, it's an interview, but it's, it's still communicating God's truth and God's heart and God's wisdom. We're just doing it through that kind of personal lens of story and <clears throat> sharing. But one of the things that you're never going to do is remember every sermon. As much as I would hope you would remember every sermon I ever gave and every point, I know some people do, but, but I'm teasing, nobody does. But um, but if you can grab one thing and then put it in your traveler's sack as you go on the journey of following Jesus. You know, I think every week I just want to I want to hear something that the Holy Spirit said. That's for you, son, today, this season of life. Put it in your, your, your knapsack, you know, your little traveler's bag, and then let that be something that helps guide you on. And one of the things that, you know, I think that uh, Pastor Sean and Carrie were sharing is that this the space to be able to make mistakes and grow and learn. And I think being a disciple, making disciples starts with being a disciple. Sean was talking about that, that we're following Christ. And I know for me, one of the things I do is I will, I will be happy to give someone else grace, but I won't give it to myself. And really, we live in a culture which talks about loving yourself, accepting yourself. That's A lot of that is okay, but actually I think a higher truth is to let God's love and God's acceptance and God's grace get into your heart and into your spirit. And so receiving from him the fact that as good as parents as we can be on planet earth, uh, we still make a lot of mistakes and fail, but our father in heaven is perfect. And if I have grace and space for my own children to make mistakes and grow and, and develop and, and develop disciplines and all of that, how much more does God have that for me? He's a great father. 
we sing a song, he's a good, good father. And that's true, but I think we really were looking for the word great. We just don't have a good enough word. You know, we, he's, he's incredible. He's a perfect father. His love is, is amazing. And he's, he's giving us every day the next step to take in our journey of growing and looking more like Jesus. So hopefully you got something uh, today. If you didn't, I'm sorry, it's your own fault. You should have written something down. You can come back to second service, double dip, you know, and, and get something and write it down because I believe today we heard some incredible pearls of wisdom and some things that I know personally for me are going to help me walk with Jesus at, at a better level uh, starting right now. Amen? Uh, if you just bow your head and close your eyes, you know, today I want to give an opportunity for anybody that's here that is ready to start your journey of following Jesus. You know, as a church, we give this, uh, this opportunity every week. And the reason why is because every single Sunday, somebody says, today, I'm ready to choose Jesus as my Lord and Savior, to follow him and to give him my life. You know, we heard from Carrie and Sean about how they came to Christ. For Carrie, she grew up in a, a Christian family and was able to have that opportunity to, re to respond to Christ at a young age. For Sean, as an adult, uh, what's so beautiful is that God is always reaching out and seeking and searching for, for you, for your heart. Maybe you are young, maybe you're old, maybe you've done well in life, maybe you've not done so well. Uh, that's not really so important. What's important is that today you open your heart and your mind and you say, Jesus, I choose you, I receive you as Lord and Savior. And the beauty of the gospel is that all of us have fallen short of God's glory. And so you might be sitting here today going, you know, I have really messed up my life. Uh, maybe you're currently in a big mess. And you know what? God receives you. He says, bring your life to me today. And he takes it from you. And he takes those, that mess and he hands you back the perfection of Christ. Uh, you might think you're doing really well in life. You know what? Why don't you lay that down at the foot of the cross and, and, and receive what God has for you, the mission and the calling, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever has come, uh, it's not our own worthiness that makes us right with God. It's that we lay our life down and give it to Jesus at the foot of the cross. There's no political affiliation. It's not a racial thing. It's not a, it's not a socioeconomic thing. It's a, I'm a child of God and I'm separated from him and I want to be reunited. So if that's you today, you say, Pastor Jake, I want to start my journey of following Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand where I can see? We're not looking around. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. Anybody here today that wants to begin that journey of following Jesus? Just lift it up so I can see. Awesome. Praise God. Okay, we're going to pray this prayer together. Everybody repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life, all the good, all the bad. I offer it to you. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for making a way for me to be right with God. I put my faith and trust in you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.